Welcome to the Unapologetically Fueled podcast, where we talk nutrition, identity, performance, and the psychology behind it all. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. Um, another episode in my three-part Gut Health for Runners series. I have a very special guest today. I have Allie Feller, or you may know her as Allie on the Run. I'm sure you all listen to her podcast and follow her on Instagram, and she's so great, but I'm just going to let you introduce yourself, Allie. Yay. Thank you for having me. It's great to see your smiling face. We got to meet in person last year uh, at the Bayshore Marathon, which was so fun. So great to see you. Thank you for having me on. I am Allie Feller. I am the host of the Allie on the Run show podcast. I am a race announcer, which is how we met. Well, technically met at a live show. I am a race announcer. I do start and finish lines at the Boston Marathon, New York City Marathon, Bayshore Marathon, and so many more. I am a mom to four-year-old Annie. I'm a dog mom to seven-year-old old Ellie, who you might hear barking in the background at some point, uh, without a doubt, when I am recording, Amazon will be here to deliver something and Ellie will let us know that Amazon is here. And I love to run. I've run six marathons. I am hoping this year I will run my seventh. It's been a while since I've run a marathon and that's the, that's the condensed version. We'll say. I love it. I love it. That is such a beautiful condensed version. I need to like come up with like my elevator pitch there when people are just saying like, about yourself. And I'm like, I know I don't even have mine down. And, (laughs) And it's something that I think is always evolving too. Like the order in which we say things is always evolving. Some days my first thing out of my mouth is I'm Allie Feller. I'm a mom. Some days I'm like super in work mode. And so it's just like all business. So yeah, it's it's kind of a fluid thing, I guess. (laughs) That's so awesome. And also I love the dog. I also have a dog named Polly who my listeners know very well. She always (laughs) wants to join in on the podcast. (laughs) They always do. That's awesome. (laughs) Yes. And Allie's such a great race announcer and her daughter's so cute. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. You got to meet her too. She was a cute (laughs) And she was like watching Paw Patrol, I remember like during the show and oh, she's yeah. like, oh my gosh, she's like the most bubbly, cute little girl. <laughs> she's pretty fun. We like her a lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so cute. I love it. Well, again, thank you so much for being on here. And you mentioned that you ran six marathons and want to run another one. Could you kind of go into a little bit about like your running story or like, I like to call it like your running love story because I feel like every runner has a story of how they fell in love with the sport. (laughs) Totally. And I will say that it was not love at first run. Uh, (laughs) I grew up as a dancer. I did a lot of activities when I was young dancer. I did gymnastics, but they called me butterfingers because I used to fall off the bars. (laughs) Brutal nickname for a child. But I just remember like, I felt special because I was like, I have a nickname. I'm special. And I was like, it's actually like pretty insulting, but that's fine. Dance was the thing that stuck. Dance was my life. I was a competitive dancer. I was the captain of my dance team in college. And then as soon as I graduated college, I knew my dance days were over. Like, yeah. Unless you are hoping to be a professional dancer, there aren't a lot of places to take dancing once you're out of the organized part of it, much like sports, right? You might play growing up, but then once you graduate, maybe like intramurals or like a co-ed league in your town. So I knew I was done dancing. I also knew that I liked being active and I didn't really know what to do with that. So like I tried different classes and I was living in New York city and everything is so expensive. And my roommate at the time who I met on Craigslist, we didn't know each other, but she was a runner and she had all her medals hanging on her wall. And of course I was like, cool necklaces. Like, are you, what are you a boxer or a wrestler? Like what's with all the bling? 
she taught me about running. She took me to a running store, got me fitted. And I had gone for runs before kind of like I sat out the mile in gym class. Like that was my nightmare in college on the dance team. There was in the studio we practiced in, there was like an indoor track in the gym next to where we practiced. It must've been a hundred meters, maybe like it was teeny, teeny, tiny. Yeah. And I was the captain and I would make us go and run like two laps of the track as a team because we needed to build up our cardiovascular endurance. It was a kick line dance team. So we needed a lot of stamina, but like, I didn't want to run. Why was I making us do that? And it was a punishment. No one wanted to do it. And we were wearing jazz shoes. Like we weren't wearing running shoes. We definitely shouldn't have been running. No way that was good for our calves, but you ran in jazz shoes. Jazz sneakers, jazz sneakers. Yeah. Um, Talk about no traction, I will tell you. But it wasn't fun. I hated it. It was one of those things that was like, yeah, I know it's good for me, but at what cost? Yeah. And as an adult, when it was something I chose to do, I found the joy and the excitement. And at that point, it was love at first run. I mean, it was painful. It was hard. I ran for like eight seconds sprinted out my front door, knew nothing about pacing. I I knew nothing about anything, but I learned as I went and I loved the progress. I loved that that first day I ran two lampposts, which is like eight feet. And then the next day I was like, maybe I can make it to that lamppost. And the great thing about learning to run in New York city is when you're uptown, the city is a grid, the streets and avenues are numbered. It is very easy to say, okay, well, I started at 102nd, which was where I lived. Can I run to 100th? Can I run to 96th? Can I run to where I know there is a dog park at 84th? That was the big goal was, can I run a mile to get to the dog park? I didn't have a dog. I just liked dogs. I was like the creepy girl that would run there and just look at all the dogs. And from there, I signed up for a four mile race in Central Park. And I think it was that same day that I was like, I'm going to run a half marathon and I didn't have a watch and I didn't care about time and I knew nothing. And I think that's what kept it so fun for so long. And I mean, it still is fun. I still love it. Yeah. And yeah, that's how it evolved. Oh, that is so awesome. There's Polly saying hi. She's like, yeah, Allie, you ran ran to the dog park. Was I there? Yeah. Right. Oh my gosh. Wait, that is the coolest. I love that story. And I think that's so funny because so many of like runners that be like become runners and adults they are like, Oh, I was a soccer player. I was a swimmer. And then they're so fast. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. And I actually was a dancer and gymnast too. So that was my main thing. And I like started after that too. I mean, it was also like, Oh, we would like run to like warm up. And I'd be like, I hate this. Like this is yeah. the worst thing ever. And then like, once I was like, I'm going to train for the turkey trot. And it's just like, you like run to like the tree or whatever. And you're like, oh my gosh, this is so fun. <laughs> yeah. It's so satisfying. Like it's there, yeah. there's such, there are so many different ways to measure your progress. And that's something I really appreciate about running that. Yes, it can be time. It can be distance. It can be some days it's how many bathroom stops did I make? Great. <laughs> maybe it was a PR. Maybe it was a personal worse. Like there are so many different ways you can evaluate any individual run and your progress over time, which I love. Yes. I love that so much. And that's, I, yeah, I always like listen to these running podcasts and they'll be like, you know, like sometimes in races, like you don't have a time goal, like your goal, maybe it's like, oh, I nailed my nutrition or maybe, yeah, I went through the whole race without going to the bathroom and that is an accomplishment. And so it's just like, yeah, that's, that's awesome. I love running. (laughs) Yeah. That's always my A goal. My A goal is never time. My A goal is always don't poop your pants. So (laughs) 
literally. Go team. Yes, go team. We love it. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Oh, I love that. Um, so what does running look like for you now? Like, are you training for anything? You said you might do another marathon. Yes, I am hoping and planning to run the Eugene marathon, which is the last weekend in April. So I'm right at that sweet spot where I don't really have to be training yet, but I need to figure out my plan for that. Um, (laughs) and I'm not going to do anything too crazy. It's been a while since I've run a marathon. My last marathon was in 2016 Mm -hmm. and it was not ideal. I got really sick. I have Crohn's disease and I got really sick halfway through training. Wasn't able to complete my training was really sick on race day, but was like, I want to be a part of it. I, I know my mental health. I needed, I needed to not be sitting on the sidelines that day. And, and, you know, at that point I had been running for almost 10 years. So I, I knew my limits in terms of like, I'm not going to get injured. I'm not going to hurt myself here. And so I ran the first 10 miles and then I pretty much walked the next 16 and it was the best day. It was my slowest marathon time by a lot. And it was so fun. I was with a friend from start to finish and we just made the best of it. So all that to say, I have run six marathons, one went perfectly, which was the one that is still my personal best. It was my second marathon. I ran it with a friend and, um, it was in 2012 and I, yeah, I've just been kind of craving it. And so my approach to this, uh, is to keep doing what I'm doing right now. I run six, seven or eight miles a day, most Mm -hmm. days a week. Mm -hmm. And if I can, I'll do a long run, which is 10 miles. My goal for this is to keep that around the same Mm -hmm. and make the long runs longer, which will probably mean making those weekday, you know, whereas normally I would do like six, eight mile runs in a week. Now it's like, well, maybe I do a little bit shorter so that the weekly volume is staying around the same. I don't want to get injured, but I don't think I'm going to be doing much. If any speed work, I don't have a time goal for this. I want to enjoy it. And right now I'm I'm in a phase where I am enjoying running. I'm loving running. I'm feeling good running and I don't want to mess with that too much. I don't want to ruin that in pursuit of a goal. Uh, One of my, the reason that I've not run, I mean, there's a few, but a big reason I haven't run a marathon since 2016 is I did get so sick. I wondered how much of it was because of the training, like Mm -hmm. maybe my body, I wasn't sick when I started training, but it was like, maybe this is too much for me to handle. And historically I have flared when I've trained for marathons. So yeah, with (laughs) totally. And so I've been scared. I'm like, it's not worth it. Like training for running a marathon. Like I don't care that much. I I'm perfectly happy to just run. I am not someone who is defined by races or PRs. I just love to run. I love to be a part of the community. I love to get out there. Mm -hmm. I don't need to be able to say like, I'm a 22 time marathoner. Like that, that's not important to me. To some people that's very important. It's not to me. Yeah. I want to keep running happily and to keep feeling healthy. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking the way for me to do this and I want to challenge myself. So I think the way for me to do this is to not increase volume and intensity. I think that might be too much and to just make sure I'm getting the long runs in so that I can complete the distance. I respect the marathon distance. I don't think I'm going to pull off any kind of miracle, yeah. uh, but without doing too much, without pushing myself too much, don't get me wrong. I would love to, I honestly, I would, I would love to like have a coach and kick ass in training. I would love to go to the track. I would love to do tempos. Like I like working hard. 
not at the cost of my health. And it's hard because it's a guessing game. It's like, well, I might be able to train and feel great, but I'm still too nervous to do that. So for my first marathon in six years, I'm thinking or seven years, math is hard. I'm thinking this is the way to go. Let's see how this goes. And let's see how this goes. Absolutely. And I think, oh my gosh, there are so many beautiful things you just said. Like, it's like, okay, I think that's amazing. One, that you're focusing on the joy of the sport and just like you run because you love it. Like your focus isn't on those like goal oriented because I have so many people who are like, oh, like on my Instagram, they'll be like, oh my gosh, like, well, you should be hitting these paces or like, are you training for anything? Are you doing this for competition? Or some people will even be like, I'll like post my runs. They'll be like, why is your pace a little bit slower? Are you? I'm like, guys, like I'm running because I love running. And so it's like, I know so many people that are so caught up in like, I want to be like, yeah, do all of the majors in this amount of time. And like, that's how I'm defined. But I'm like, like, let's just remember why we love running in the first place. And I think that's so awesome that you are promoting this and like showing people that like you can be happy and like not be chasing after the 22 time marathoners. And I think that's like, it's so running is so personal and like how your marathon is like, to you, this means so much more than just running another marathon. Like you're going to see how this training goes and you're going to like show yourself like how strong you've gotten and like how you can run healthy. And I just think that's amazing. So yeah, I think it'll go really well, especially since you're like already running like six to eight miles a day. Like you're already set. Yeah. 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 I feel like we're good. The goal is to have fun. I'm bringing my family out with me. It's a family trip. It's, you know, it's kind of a work trip for me. I'm going to do a live show while I'm out there. Um, I mean, work as loosely as I can use that word. Like I I love what I do very much. Uh, but yeah, I, I really just like to be outside a lot and I like to move my body. So So, see what happens. That is so awesome. And then a month later at Bayshore, I'll be like, I'll give you a big congratulations. I can't wait. (laughs) And then you'll, you'll kill it. I know it. (laughs) And you're going to have such a fun time. So will you. Oh, thanks. (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) That's awesome. So you mentioned that, um, you have a history with Crohn's and that you deal with Crohn's disease on a daily basis. Um, and that's kind of been, you know, what has guided your training and everything. So can you share a bit of your story with Crohn's? Um, and I know that you also just came out with that, those two podcasts about your whole story. So again, if you guys want to listen to those, I will link those below because she goes into detail about her story and stuff. And, um, yeah, someone who deals with all sorts of gut issues and, just got recently diagnosed. And it's just like, so I, yeah, I resonate with that. And I want to hear your story and how you manage that as a runner. Yeah. It's like, I'm glad we have each other and that we're all like, we can relate. I feel seen. And at the same time, I hate that this is what we bond over, but (laughs) yeah, I don't know life without Crohn's disease. I was diagnosed when I was seven. So this is something I've pretty much always had. And I always say that for a long time, it was my parents' problem more than it was my own. Like yeah, I was a sick kid, but it wasn't up to me to figure out what medicine to take or, or schedule doctor's appointments and make sure that things were covered under my copay. And I had prior authorizations. Like it wasn't for a long time that now that's my problem, but (laughs) yeah, that sure is. Oh, so my biggest thing is when I am flaring, I am in the bathroom 30 times a day. I, I barely leave. It is frequent, urgent diarrhea. Uh, it is not it's not cute. It's not sexy. It is not fun to talk about. And the only reason I talk about it is because it helps people better understand me. Uh, if I can help someone else in the process, great. But I have found that education and advocacy is super important. And I don't really like, 
I'm not going to lie. I don't want to be an advocate for Crohn's disease. I'm not like, let me get on my soapbox and talk about my diarrhea. I'd love to not do that. And there have been so many times that I have needed a bathroom and been denied a bathroom. And all I can think is that if that person understood Crohn's disease, if that person had awareness or knew there would be that compassion, they might be willing to break a rule at their company that says no one can use like, so anyway, that that's kind of my why when it comes to why I talk about this and why I put out two episodes about it is I think awareness is really important. So in the bathroom a lot, when I flare, I tend to have really high fevers, night sweats, joint pain, fatigue, just all of the stuff that really just takes me out of the game. And as much as it sounds like, okay, so you're running to and from the bathroom, the way that that impacts my life is in every possible way. The anxiety is constant of where's the bathroom? When will I need a bathroom? Am I going to make it to the bathroom? What if my daughter needs me while I'm in the bathroom, which is a big one now as a parent, uh, it's going out in public and needing to know the restrooms. It's, can I even get out the door to go for a run? And if I do, where are the bathrooms? What are my options? It is always planning, always being prepared. And that's when I'm not even flaring. That's just normal life, right? That's kind of the baseline of always being prepared mm-hmm. and it's fine. It's my normal, right? Like what sounds like a huge mental load to some people that to me is how I go through life. Mm-hmm. That's totally fine. Yeah. The flares are when it's really bad. Uh, for me, having to make a bathroom stop or two on a six mile run, normal. I plan for that. I expect that. Yeah. 30 times a day is a lot. It means I cannot do my job. I cannot sit and record an hour long podcast without having to go to the bathroom. Like it's just not possible. Uh, the only time that I've ever taken a break on my show and I'm 600 episodes in as of today, when we're talking and the only time, yeah, yay. The only time I've taken a break from that is when I was too sick to do it. I could not, I, I kept trying. I mean, I was at the point where I had, like, I would just bring my bath, my laptop into the bathroom and I didn't do video calls. It was audio only. And, but even that I was just like, this isn't, this is not, it's not worth it. I was so stressed. And so, yeah, it's, it's hard. I am fortunate that last year I was healthy all year, knock on everything. Uh, that was big that as I was kind of going through my year in review and doing all the like year by the numbers, I finally realized like I was healthy all year. Yeah, And that's, that, um, that's a big thing is that we learn not to take our health for granted. Yeah. So that's a, that's a big one. When you have a chronic illness is you have such, or I have such an appreciation for my body for when it behaves. Uh, I respect my body, which is why I'm scared to do speed work and long runs right now. Uh, yeah, constantly on my mind. I'm never not thinking about Crohn's disease. There's just a piece of my brain that's always there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I just got goosebumps when you said you were healthy all year. I'm like, that is yeah. awesome because that is a big, that's a big deal. And I think that's something to celebrate. And also the fact that you're respecting your body and stuff with doing that. Cause I mean, I know that like a lot of people would push themselves in this and it could cause them to flare up and it would just be so hard. And it is hard to manage that. And it is hard to sometimes step out, like step back and like, let your body rest. But I think that's so amazing about like how you're learning to manage this and stuff and like deal with those flare-ups and I cannot imagine how hard that must be having this since you were seven years old um and that just I mean yeah it's hard and um going like yeah bringing the toilet paper on the runs yeah oh yeah 
literally. It's Always. Like, no, I never leave home without toilet paper, paper towels, something, yeah. something. Yep. Me too. It's like, but it, yeah. Yeah. You'll appreciate this. So right now uh, on our road, uh-huh. they are doing construction on one house uh-huh. and then further down the road, they're clearing a lot which means there's porta potties on my route right now. I'm That's so excited. <laughs> I love a home renovation because it means there will be porta potties on my running route. And right now there are two porta potties, which in the winter is like hard to find. Yeah. So uh, a true runner's dream for me. Absolutely. Right absolutely. Yeah. I've only used one of them, but I'm sure my time will come when I get to check out the other one. <laughs> Definitely. Not absolutely. to brag. Right. Not to rag, but there's porta potties. That's amazing. And like a Strava post be like, Hey guys, this is my run view today. My little porta potty. Oh, always. Yeah. There's (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love how much of an advocate you are about it too, because like, I mean, I talk about poop a lot and I'm okay with it. And it's like, I mean, cause it needs to be talked about because people are struggling with these things, whether it's IBS, IBD, whether it's, I mean, IBD is completely different from IBS, but it's like, you know, there's all these sort of gut health issues going on, especially in like today's world. Right now I'm getting my um, PhD in clinical health psychology and I do gut brain research. And so it's all about like, we're looking at like how all of these different like mechanisms, like because like everybody's so stressed out after COVID and now all of a sudden everybody has gut issues and it's like people are having like, you know, irregular poops, they're having diarrhea, they're getting constipated. And it's like, it needs to be talked about more. And like raising awareness of this helps people feel supported and it makes them feel less alone. And like the number one, like psychological, like terrible feeling is being alone. Like, it's just like, I think that's so amazing. And like, I am proud to talk about poop and I think it's awesome that we're talking about. Yeah, everyone does it. So it doesn't have to be a weird thing. And like, why are we so okay? Like, why are we okay being like, all right, I have to go pee. Like people say that all the time in normal conversation. Like I have to pee. And that doesn't mean I'm going to sit at dinner with like colleagues. I don't have colleagues. I work for myself. doesn't mean I'm going to sit at dinner with anyone and be like, I got to go poop. Yeah. But like we can talk about this stuff. Exactly. It's not that big of a deal. It's not. And anyone who turns their nose up at talking about it, like, okay, let me follow you around for a 24 hour period. And let me see if you never go into that bathroom. Exactly. It doesn't mean we have to talk about it over appetizers, but no. like, this is exactly it's okay. It is so normal. Like my aunt, she lives down the street from me and she's a pediatric gastroenterologist. Like I know she's like, yeah, she does a lot. I mean, she makes a lot of diagnoses of Crohn's disease and, you know, she works with a lot of really, really sick kiddos, but we always talk about poop. I go over to the house on Friday night and she'll be like, guess what? Like, we'll just like have this conversation for her kids. Like my little cousins, there's a chart at their home and there's like, oh, like, what did your poop look like today, honey? Like making sure they're sit healthy. That's the most pediatric GI parent thing I've ever heard. I know. It's so great. (laughs) That's cute. It's so cute. And like, also for like runners, like the runners poops, like that is like, that is so normal. And then on top of that, if you have a chronic illness, if you have Crohn's, if you have IBS, whatever it is, like you are going to deal with poop and you need support groups for that. And you need people to like understand because you know, we need that. So yeah. My favorite thing, no, that sounds terrible. It's not my favorite thing, but like, (laughs) I love when in otherwise like perfectly healthy person. So someone not with Crohn's colitis, IBD, IBS, celiac, whatever it is. I love when in, you know, any everyday person 
has to make a run for the bathroom, whether it is food poisoning or the flu. I don't want that to happen to them. I don't want anyone to be sick. Let me be very clear. Mm -hmm. But to me, that sort of goes with the awareness and it makes my job easier because then I can say when someone's like, well, what's Crohn's disease? I can be like, do you remember three weeks ago when you ate that salad that was like a little slimy and when you weren't sure, and then you got super sick and they're like, oh yeah. I'm like, there you go. Like, I also, I'm not, I'm not a Crohn's snob. Like, I feel like we hear all the time when people are like, well, I have IBD. Okay. Like you only have IBS. It's like, you see this in like comment sections and stuff like that. And it's just like anyone who's ever had to run for the bathroom or been, had intense abdominal pain, abdominal, abdominal. What is that? The abominable snowman. snowman. (laughs) Oh boy. Yeah. Anyone who's ever had to deal with that. It just, it's, it's awareness. It yeah. helps you get it. Like I will never forget. He probably hates that. I tell this story, but there was a day that my husband was on his commute to work. So obviously this was pre pandemic. Yeah. And he texted me and was like, I just got a newfound respect for what you go through. He's like, I was on the ferry and I did not think he's like, I don't know if I drank too much coffee or what, but like, I did not think that and there's no bathrooms on the ferry. He's like, I didn't think I was going to make it. We got off the ferry. I was pushing people to get off, like had to run, just barely made it. And I was just like, I honestly, like, I don't love that that happened to you, Yeah. but like, I love that that happened to you, that you felt how awful it was and that you thought to reach out to me and Mm -hmm. like, it gave you an understanding, right? It helps us build empathy. So I am not wishing urgent diarrhea on anyone listening to this. I will just say that like, yeah, it, it, it helps build empathy and I'm kind of all for that. Exactly. Tell me bugs for everyone in 2023. I sound like a monster right now. I promise I'm not. The abdominable. The abdominable plague of 2023. It's coming for everyone. Exactly. Exactly. No, I feel that so much. It's like, it honestly does help people understand. And I am all for empathy as a psychologist. Like this is my number one thing. Like I love empathy and it's so great. And it's like, I feel like exactly like, I don't wish it upon anybody to like, you know, have to have urgent diarrhea, but like, listen, you can be like, Hey, like, I know you like made a judgment about how I need to find a bathroom somewhere, but like, remember like, yeah, you ate that salad a couple weeks ago and this is what happened. And so it's so funny, like before this, I just came back. So I went home for a couple weeks for um, Christmas break um, in between classes and everything. And I was uh, staying at my dad's house and our pipes broke and our toilets broke and we could not mm. use the bathrooms. And my I was nightmare. like, it was so bad. It was so scary. And I was like, and my stepdad has a house like down the street. And so I was like, oh, perfect. I can just go stay there. And I was like, dad, like, are, don't you want to stay in a hotel? He's like, oh no. Like, I'll just like go at the gym in the morning. I'm like, so normal people like know just when plan, they're going to plan for that. Exactly. I'm what like a monster. I know <laughs> it's crazy. And I'm like, dad, like you, you don't understand. And he was just like, well, yeah, I, I just know like every day it happens at the same time. And I'm like, what the heck? So sorry, dad, if you didn't want this disclosed, but you know, <laughs> we're sharing <laughs> everyone's stories today. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I get that. That would stress me out. Yeah. so much I know right so I was just like I'm staying at my stepdad's house because like I gotta poop so <laughs> oh, that's awesome 
Um, yeah. So how would you say that, like you said that, like typically when you train for marathons, um, you notice that there's flare ups, but how do you manage the symptoms as a runner, you know, and on top of like packing toilet paper, when you go for a run or like, you know, managing speed work, um, I guess, like, how do you manage it otherwise? Yeah, that's my, my everyday baseline is always carrying something with me. I never, ever, 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 ever go for a run. I even bring stuff to races because one time, one time, 2011 Brooklyn, Brooklyn half marathon. Uh, I got there with not enough time before the start. The porta potty lines were super long. I had to poop. I finally get to the front of the line and it was like one of those random single porta potties that like off the beaten path and there was no toilet paper. And so I was like, what do I do? Like, so I was like, I guess I'm just not going to poop right now. And I ran the race and it was the first time I ever had to make bathroom stops during a race. I had to make like three bathroom stops. Anyway, my baseline is being prepared. I always know where I'm running. I always have a plan. If I'm in a city, I don't know. I'm mapping it out. I'm familiarizing myself with an area. I might drive the area first. Uh, I know if it's wooded, I know if there are not just if there are places around like a Dunkin' Donuts, a Starbucks, whatever, I will find out, do they lock the door? Do you need a passcode to get in? What time do they open in the morning? Is it typically busy? Is there going to be a line? Cause if there's a line, it's game over. I don't have time for that. So obsessively prepared, which makes me an amazing running buddy because yeah. I always know where the bathrooms are and everyone needs them. Yeah. So not to pat myself on the back, but I'm a great running buddy. That's amazing. <laughs> when I'm flaring, it's different. Um, I take all those same precautions, but flaring, it runs the gamut. Yeah. I yeah. might not even be able to go for a run. I might not even be able to leave the house. Obviously, if I'm that sick, I'm not trying to run. I'm just trying to stay alive. If it's like a mild flare, I weigh the options. Is <laughs> running going to help me feel better? Is it going to deplete me? Like, I remember back in, I think it was 2013, which was my worst flare. It was really bad. I was living in New York city and I was like forcing myself to get out for a run every day because running had become such a part of my identity. I was definitely very addicted to it. I, it was what I did. Right. And I mean, I was making bathroom stops. I would go for a five mile run and I'm making more stops than the the number of miles I'm running. And, but I was like, but I love it. I'm just happy to be out here. Like I was very stubborn. And finally it got to a point, it was a super rainy day. I was on the bridal path in New York city, which is the, or in central park, which is the trail around the reservoir and it's pouring rain. I'm super sick. And there's not many places to discreetly go to the bathroom in central park. You just hope you're near one of the public restrooms, which I know very well, but I was like, I, I have to go. And so I ran behind, it's like, it's not a dumpster. I think it's like, you know, those big, like like box looking things that definitely has like a generator or something in it. That yeah. sounds like it's always running. I don't know what that yeah, is. I'm I not talking about. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> great for runners. I yeah. ducked behind it. The irony is that when I ducked behind it, I may have been hidden from the runners on the path, but I was right next to a road. So all the cars driving by for sure saw me, but I was like, they're going fast. I'm not going to see them again. Yeah. So there I am squatting behind a big metal box, fully in view of drivers, hoping no one saw me pouring rain, sobbing. And I'm just like, what am I doing? And that was when I was like, I need to take a break. 
Like that was my moment. That was like a, a rock bottomy type moment where I was just like, I shouldn't, I don't need to force myself to run. It's not, it's not giving me the benefits mm-hmm. that I rely on running for or that I hope to get from running. And so flares, it depends. I also, when I was flaring during early in the pandemic, which weren't we all, right. I bought a treadmill, which was a big Big purchase, obviously those don't come cheap, but I was like, I want an option to move when a I'm, you know, we had no childcare at the time. So I was like, well, I want to be able to move when I'm home with my daughter and she's napping. She used to nap. I want an option for if I'm sick and I can't get out of the house, but I want to walk or try to run for a few minutes at a time. So that was a great investment. That is something that has gotten a lot of use. And so it's a lot of preparedness and it's a lot of kind of the cost benefit outcome. Is this run going to help me? Is it going to set me back? Do I even have the energy to put toward a run? Is this run with any run? Does it energize you or deplete you? Like sometimes we come back from a run and we're just crushed. Sometimes we go for a run and we can take on the world. So it's that sort of amplified, but it's still that. Yeah, no, that's great advice. I think like for anybody, that's fantastic advice just in general, like, oh, am I too tired to run? Um, is this going to deplete me? But like, especially when you're living with Crohn's disease or a chronic illness or, you know, gut issues, IBS, celiac, um, like that's something to really pay attention to because I mean, there's always this like, you know, mentality, like, oh, just like you can tough it out. Like I'm super tough because I run because I have a chronic illness. It's like, Mm -hmm. yes. And also like, you need to give your body rest too at that point. And like, sometimes that requires like actually most of the time, I guess for me requires way more strength than going for the run. Cause I'm like you, I love it. And I, I like, that is the best part of my day. Like starting my morning with a run. I'm like, I love it. Like, I just want to be out there running all the time. But then it's like, when you can't, it's, it takes more strength to step out than really go for that run. So in my opinion, I think it's sometimes stronger to like not go for the run sometimes if you're dealing with a chronic illness and people, you know, people, if they say like, oh, well you're letting that win or whatever. It's like, no, like that's not, no. you are taking those. I, oh, I will get so high up on my high horse there. All of the phrases, never miss a Monday, no excuses. We all have the same number of hours in the day. If Beyonce can do it, so can you, I'm like, right. I, oh no, hate no. it. it's awful it's just like yeah there's so much it's not even like stigma it's like almost like oh well you have this and you can it's like the opposite of stigma and it's like yeah almost worse sometimes so it's it's so hard yeah so when you do have those flare-ups and you can't run how are some like what are some ways that you manage that um mentally because I mean it's so hard to take a step back yes I cry um I would say I cry a lot I get angry (laughs) I don't always have the healthiest coping mechanisms. Uh, I mean, the great thing here is that it's been a while since that's been the case for me. And I feel way too lucky to be able to say that, that I am coming off a healthy year and I focus only on that, I guess. But I mean, any form of movement that I can do is great. If I can do a little bit of yoga, like I'm super into the 10 minute Peloton strength classes. I do like, yeah, right. Like 10 minute arms and light weights is so my jam. I mute the instructor all the way. I sit down, like I'm not on the bike. I sit on the floor. Usually I'm in my pajamas. And for 10 minutes, I will watch Emily in Paris for the 400th time on my computer while just kind of doing bicep curls with a three pound weight. And then I'm moving. I feel good. Little things. There are some great like 
20, 30 minute Peloton yoga classes with Taylor Swift music. Like there are things, things we can do, but really it's what can I do staying within my home? If I, if I want to move and I'm fortunate that I have the ability to do that with a spin bike and a treadmill, like that's, that's not normal common. I don't know. I feel very privileged to have those things and to have purchased those things over the past few years. If I can go for a walk, great. Uh, anything low impact is good, right? So like, can I sit on my spin bike and just move my legs? Is it doing anything for me physically? Maybe not, but mentally, uh, that's really what I'm playing toward when I'm sick. Usually if I'm deep in a flare yeah, and I could be wrong, but I often feel like in those times, there's only so much I can do to physically come back from that. And I do those things. I'm on medication. Usually my doctor will put me on a short round of steroids to really kickstart things. Uh, I will modify my diet. Like I will do those things, Mm -hmm. but really what I know that I need to tend to during flares is my emotional well-being because that is what suffers the most. Like physically, I know I'm going to get through it emotionally. That's where I need a little bit of extra love. And so that's where I really put a lot of my focus and energy. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, I really love, okay. I love how you focus on what you can do because that is such a big thing. Is You have to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but I didn't always, I did like, let me be very clear. And so if anyone listening is newer in their diagnosis or like going through this earlier in life, I didn't always have this mindset. I did. I used to be very like, well, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't eat this. I can't go here. I can't take that trip. Like big on the cans, big on the life's not fair, big on scrolling and seeing what everyone else was doing and being mad that I wasn't like, don't, don't get me wrong. I have, and I still have those moments. Yeah. And I've learned to shift to what I can do. Uh, that's a, that's a really important one. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it is so important, like to, you said to like cry and let yourself. Oh yeah. Emotions I love crying. Like, exactly. It's so love nice. It. It's so, so great. Right. Such a good release. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <that's> so awesome. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like, honestly, like attending to the emotional well-being is so important when you're living with a chronic illness and also just like the emotions, like they impact our guts and like the more like distressed that you are. And if you're not attending to your emotional well-being, like it literally changes like your microbiome, which can like enhance the flares that you have. And so it's like, so it's so bi-directional. And so, um, I think that's super, super important. And like, I mean, I like, I want to go into GI psychology, which is a new field. And it's like, which I'm so happy about because like, there's all these like IBD clinics that are like looking for like psychologists to like be there and like work on the emotional stuff. And I'm just like, this is exactly like what I want to like do and help people like through and like have that empathy too. And so I just think that it's just like so important that you were able to like, see like, oh, this was affecting my mental health. And now that you're like, promoting like mental well-being and everything to everybody else. And I just, I think that's so awesome. So. Yeah. And I would say too, it's easier to see when we're out of it. Uh, It's easier to do all of this with hindsight and to be able to zoom out and use that perspective when you're in the thick of it, survival mode, baby. Like honestly, every, every day, hour, minute survival mode. Yeah. That's so hard. That's so hard. Um, And yeah, I can't even imagine how hard that must be, especially when you can't run too because of that. And it's just like, yeah, that's a lot. Um, 
So with IBD and running marathons, um, a big thing is fueling for the marathon, especially with like gels and stuff. How do you already people without IBD or whatever GI disease that they have, they have a hard time stomaching these things like gels and gummies and stuff. Like, what do you do for that? Because I'm nervous. Yeah. It's been a while. Yeah. My body is very different. Like it's, I haven't run a marathon since I've had my daughter, you know, I have a very different body now in terms of how it looks, feels and acts, right. It's, it's all different. It's all new. Yeah. And so I'm not sure. Um, I, you know, I know what I do on the day to day and it's not what I recommend. It's yeah. not what any dietitian would recommend. I like running on an empty stomach. I yeah. I'm not someone who, uh, if I'm going for a 5am run, I'm not eating anything before. And then usually when I get back, my daughter is just waking up and I'm getting her ready and I'm doing her hair and I'm taking mm-hmm. care of all of her needs and getting her off to school. And then when I finally get back, which is like three hours after I finished my run. I'm like, I should eat something while I sit down at my computer. Like I I'm, I'm not good. I'm aware of that. Um, and it's funny. I always know these questions are coming with Crohn's because we all want to talk about it. And I just, I'm like, Oh shoot. I should have figured this out before this interview. And then I'll do another one. And I'm like, I should have figured it out. So (laughs) I do what works for me the night before a race. I have two different meals that I'll generally opt for. I either like sushi, which is my favorite food and, and it digests well, you get some protein in there. You get the carbs with the rice. Um, and when I say sushi, I mean like a ton of sushi. Uh, (laughs) I love sushi. So that's a good one for me. I love steak. So I will do like steak, a baked potato and maybe like asparagus and a bunch of bread. Those are my go-tos. Those are my favorite pre-race things. And I'll do pasta sometimes, uh, not with red sauce though, with like a, um, like an oil, uh, garlic and oil or something, but even garlic can be a little tricky. So yeah, yeah. It's always experimenting. There are certain things that I swear by. Um, I, <laughs> I'm not getting paid right now to say this on your show. Um, but you can's <laughs> chocolate almond butter bars. I really do swear by them. When I was working world championships this summer, I was really nervous about my stomach because I was on my feet for like 20 hours a day with not great bathroom access and working and busy. And I had to be really careful about what I was putting in my body. And, uh, the, I, I would just eat like a ton of these, you can chocolate almond butter bars in a day. Uh, hydrating is important. I only drink water. I don't do anything fancy. I don't drink coffee. I don't drink soda. I don't, I only drink water. Yeah. Uh, those are kind of my main things. I am a creature of habit. I've been eating the same breakfast for the past like five years. I, I eat a lot of the same things. I don't eat a lot of cruciferous vegetables. Uh, I love broccoli, but it's not the greatest. Um, my no, my foods that I will not eat are corn and popcorn, uh, corn in any like whole form. Absolutely not. I have not eaten corn since the Brooklyn half marathon 2011. That was what I'd had for dinner before. It was like a ton of corn. Um, I'm done with that. Uh, so yeah, you know, I know what some of my main triggers are Yeah, and I do what works for me and I never give advice. Like I, I just don't, my advice is do what works for you. If running on an empty stomach and not taking in any water during a half marathon, if that's what works for you, exactly. do that. And don't tell your dietitian if you have one, like I hate to say that. I I think dietitians are absolutely incredible. They're amazing. I respect the hell out of them. They do important and great work. And 
I know that what I do goes against a lot of it. Usually, unless it's really hot, if I'm running a half marathon or anything shorter, I'm not taking in fluids because all I feel is the sloshing in my stomach. And between that and, and high impact running, I'm in the bathroom in a second. And so I, it's what works for me. I know it's not, um, it's not taking in calories every 30 minutes. Like they want you to do. Um, that being said, I do have to figure it out for the marathon. And that is something I will practice on my long runs. So I'm just prepared for that. Yeah, absolutely. No, that is great advice is to not give advice and just show like, this is what I do. And I think that's awesome because also, yes, the, okay. I love sushi and you need to check out red ginger when you're in Traverse city. Cause they have the best sushi anyway. So okay. Good. Yeah. Amazing. But yeah, the red sauce. Mm-mm, no, like, the no, like it's terrible corn popcorn. I cannot have it. And it's like, I feel like that's nope. pretty common too. And it's like, just like really doing what works for you is so, so important. And also you have to let me know what uh, gels you figure out. Cause I have to figure that out now too. Cause during yeah. that, like, I don't need anything, but now for the full, I'm like, okay. <laughs> yep. And I like chocolate. Um, so if I'm going to do a gel, it's going to be a chocolate gel. And so I have been pushing the team at UCAN, um, every time we have a call, which is often cause they're uh-huh. a partner of the show. I'm always like, how's that chocolate gel coming guys? How is it like, Congrats on having strawberry, banana, and orange, but like, can you please make a chocolate one for me? Uh, So yeah, in the past, I always used, um, when I did gels, I did hammer gel and I would get the chocolate flavor. Um, And the reason that I chose that one was because I liked the consistency. It was, uh, it was thicker, actually. A lot of people like thin because it goes down easy. I'm not good at drinking. I'm not good. Like my nightmare is someone being like, chug this, even if it's water. Like I just, I'm terrible at taking down fluid and always have been. I was not a good beer pong partner in college, like terrible. Uh, so I like thicker. I like when it's like frosting and I like it to taste somewhat decent. I also, and I totally forgot. So thank you for bringing this up that I did have good success in the past with honey stingers, uh, fruit smoothie chews. I liked the flavor. They were kind of like starburst. I also will probably experiment with some real food stuff. Um, yeah. you know, like cut up little pieces of, I don't know, can I do like bread and Nutella? Cause I don't want yes. peanut butter. It'll stick to the roof of my mouth, but Nutella sounds like it might be oh good. My- Gosh, that's how I'm going to try that. I'm going to now I am giving advice. Yeah, exactly. Don't buy Nutella. And also if they're interested in sponsoring the alley on the run show, um, <laughs> right. let's talk. Hey, Nutella, if you're listening, please. Honestly, yeah, <laughs> that is so awesome. No, that is great advice. Um, in our last few minutes here, I guess, um, what are some pieces of advice you would give for those who live with a crime? You've given great advice throughout this whole episode, but I guess if there's like one take-home point that you could give to people that live with um, gut issues or chronic illness, and maybe they feel like they're not good enough to be a runner, or they feel like it's you know defeating, no. or they don't feel fast <laughs> enough. Like, what is your what's your biggest advice for that? Yeah. First, I'm going to give you a gentle hug. Um, you are enough and you're doing great. And if you run, you are a runner, right? Those are my like things that I want to scream at people all the time. <laughs> I will say, be kind to yourself know that everything is a season when you're healthy, enjoy it. It's a season. Yeah. If you have a chronic illness, it's called chronic for a reason. So when that happens, when you are sick, when you are flaring, when you're not feeling well, that's a season and you're going to get through it. And enjoy the good seasons too, because those are also seasons. Everything is temporary. Feeling good is temporary. Feeling bad is temporary. So try to roll with it as best you can, which is hard. Probably my biggest tip, like if you take one thing away from this, other than I want to hug you and you're great and you're enough and you're amazing. 
uh, talk to the people in your life about what's going on. Um, I know it's not fun. I know it's not cute. I know it's not like sexy dinner time conversation. I know that when you're on your third date with someone, this isn't what you want to be sharing. Uh, it's going to make your life easier. If the people around you can kind of understand what you're going through, if they can empathize and obviously that's on them, how they react to it. But I think if you can put that out there and communicate it, people cannot read minds. And even if you feel like, but I'm going to the bathroom 600 times a day. They must notice they might, they might not. People are really focused on themselves. Most of the time, if you can communicate what that feels like emotionally, what that's like, or even if you just say, Hey, I just want you to know I'm really sick right now. I'm going to the bathroom a lot. I'm really emotionally drained. So if I feel like I'm not myself, that's why like any, any way that you feel comfortable communicating, do that to the people in your life, your boss. I know no one wants to go to their boss and talk about this, but if you're sick, communicate what's going on and talk about it. Just talk about it. And, And when I say talk about it, that can mean just emailing a link, gosh, send them a link to this episode and just say, Hey, would mean a lot to me if you listened to this and Basically, they're talking about me here. You don't even have to use your words. You can use someone else's. You can use mine. You can use Sabrina's. Like, we'll lend you our voices, but communicate what's up. It'll help. No, that is fantastic advice because we really, I mean, we thrive when we're together and being alone in your struggle is one of the worst things that can happen. So absolutely. That's great advice. Thank you. Well, and you're not alone. No, you are not alone. We're sending you hugs right now. Just a hug. hug. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much, Allie, for all of your beautiful wisdom today. And I will link all of her social media and platforms below and also some links uh, for support systems if you're dealing with a chronic illness or IBD or IBS or or whatever it is, but always feel free to reach out um, if you, losing my voice, um, if you ever need anything. And just thank you so much, Allie. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me and thank you for putting all of this out there and thank you for the work that you do. It's so important. Oh, thank you so much. You're so sweet.